Welcome to Dear Live, a podcast that seeks to inspire global voices of change, teach you how to live with intention, and expand on the eight dimensions of wellness. I'm your host, Jeanette Schneider. Every week, I'm going to drive conversations from self-development to generational social change, even to financial wellness. I am here to share my stories and reflections alongside therapists, psychologists, coaches, and wellness experts to help you create a healthier you today so we build a healthier world tomorrow. Open up to possibility for yourself, society, and the world. And think of me as the best friend you didn't know you needed with the comfy couch and the brainy stats. Let's get started. Before we introduce our first guest today, I'm excited to share our offer, Money Metrics. It's a course I created in order to talk all about debt, how to get out of it, use credit constructively, and grow that net worth. I'm offering it as a gift from me to you with the link in the show notes, code LIVEPOD. You're going to learn about spending, saving, and everything in between. And I've included downloads I created in order to help you get your money right. So please enjoy. Today's guest is Dr. Sarah Shevitz. She is a licensed clinical psychologist in LA and the founder of Couples Learn. She has been working with couples and individuals since 2008 and has advanced training in the areas of attraction, attachment, conflict management, communication, rebuilding trust after infidelity, and relationship satisfaction. I asked Dr. Sarah to join us on the podcast today. I love talking to her, especially because of her depth of knowledge and understanding when it comes to relationships. Today, we talk about the stigma of therapy, realizing as a couple when you need to come together to work on that third entity you've created. It's not just you and them. You also have now created this bubble outside of yourself, which is your relationship. We also talk why it's so important to understand not only your own attachment style, but the attachment style of the person that you love and how to create healthy dynamics within your relationship. You can find Dr. Sarah Shevitz on Instagram under Couples Learn, and her website, coupleslearn.com, has incredible information for you. I can't wait for you to learn from Dr. Sarah. Let's get going. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Live Show. This is Jeanette Schneider, your host, and I'm here with one of my favorite relationship therapists, Dr. Sarah Shevitz. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course, you were on the podcast and you were even on you're on the app, um, yes. an interview that we did on the app. And I feel like you really got your hands around um, distance therapy before we needed to worry about virtual therapy. Yeah, that was a lucky break. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I, if you could tell us a little bit about Couples Learn, because when we first met, it was way pre-pandemic and you were already meeting with couples virtually and you provide such valuable content on your social media channels. And I just, I, I follow you, I fangirl your LinkedIn even. Um, oh. Can you tell me a little bit about Couples Learn for those who don't know? Yeah. So it's a um, online therapy company that focuses specifically on couples therapy and attachment wounding. So we do work with individuals as well, but always in the area of love and relationships and kind of how they're typically it's about how their wounding from the past is influencing their ability to have um, happy, healthy relationships in the present day. You're providing the language, right? Mm -hmm. For people to understand how they're showing up. Yeah. Yeah. There's two of us currently there, two therapists currently, and um, we're always looking to add more really skilled couples therapists to the team. So I hope to have more people to help serve the clientele that are reaching out to us soon. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I um I love your posts and I actually it's kind of funny you talked about attachment wounding. That has come up quite a bit in the past couple of years. I feel like people are starting to understand their attachment styles yes. a little bit more. And I was hoping we could dig into that um, today, but I wanted to start by kind of talking about toxicity in relationships. And I think the reason it's so top of mind is because we do live in like this social media pop psychology meme world. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of things about people in toxic relationships. Mm-hmm. And I had this argument, not argument, um, one of our other uh, wellness advisors and I were talking about it and we were getting into to how a lot of times, you know, people want to cut things off with someone that they're struggling with or a relationship because they don't know how to appropriately handle conflict resolution. Mm. And I think so many people want to like label their relationships as being toxic without thinking of the way through that. And I was hoping we could put some, you know, some structure around what it means to be in a toxic relationship and what it truly means when the world is actually a little bit more gray when you realize that there are toxic behaviors within the relationship and how we can actually work through them as opposed to being like, I don't need this. I'm leaving. And what does that look like in your world? So like, could you kind of like for the person who, who doesn't have the language for it yet and they are not in therapy um, and they're struggling, what are some of the first signs that you might be in a toxic relationship or that you might even be the person that's bringing some of those bad behaviors to the table? Okay. So I love the last part that you just said, because I think in today's culture, there's such a big push of he or she or they are toxic and I don't need that in my life. So I'm going to get rid of them. But you called that in and, and you tolerated it, which means, and not to victim shame or blame at all, like abuse is a different scenario, but if there's a lot of fighting, really hostile stuff going on in a relationship, that's two sided. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. Um, so I think it's really important for people to recognize I am contributing to the toxicity in this relationship, whether it's by not setting boundaries and just not leaving (laughs) and putting up with this terrible behavior or by actually contributing to it. Um, so I feel like some really clear signs, and this is not a clinical term, toxic behavior. So I wish I could just say like, here's the diagnosis, but, um, really clear signs are if there's physical abuse, that is a toxic scenario. I feel like that's, thank you, Captain Obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, But people can minimize that sometimes, especially if they saw it in their homes growing up and it was kind of normalized that when the adults were drinking, things would get out of hand. That's, there's difference between situational violence and characterological violence. And situational is kind of the fights getting out of hand. Maybe somebody throws something or pushes the other or blocks their exit. And it's in the heat of a fight, very often fueled by drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then there's characterological violence, which is something you really, that's a really toxic behavior. I mean, both are, but characterological is more when they're using control techniques and manipulation techniques outside of just the abuse. So they Mm -hmm. might be isolating you from your friends and family. They might be um, financially controlling you. They might be super jealous and asking about every single thing you're doing, who you're talking to. They want you to drop everything for them, stop having hobbies, stop being an independent person. And on the flip side, you might just be doing that stuff and that's toxic too. Like maybe you meet someone and you just give up everything to be Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
maybe you lose who you are, stop taking care of yourself, stop doing all of the activities that used to bring you joy prior to meeting someone, that you're getting into the danger zone there as well. Um, kind of the, maybe a little bit more on the codependent side of things. Could you talk a little bit about that, the codependent side? Because I feel like, I mean, there is a fine line between depression and a hard time, right? And not taking care of yourself and losing joy um, and, and, and looking for the person that did it, right? So I do think from my experience, there are some people who've gone through um, traumatic experiences and continue to see cycles in relationships, right? But they're always looking outside of themselves as to what's being done to me, to right? And, and I wonder if sometimes we aren't so wounded that we're just kind of the fingers always pointing out and not yeah. realizing like, Hey, maybe we've got some mental health stuff going on too. Like maybe there's something other than just the relationship and I just have poor boundaries. Well, and you just pretty much described the core facet of codependency is a lot of finger pointing outward, trying to mm -hmm. control your partner's behavior, change your partner's behavior and it's in an unconscious effort to avoid looking at yourself and whatever hard feelings are coming up for you. Mm. So codependent individuals often tend to abandon themselves and focus super strongly on their partners. And they don't even recognize all the underlying relational pain that they're going through. I never even thought of it from that perspective, like the abandoning of self where you're, because sometimes you'll see the partner who looks a little more self-righteous, right? Mm -hmm. And that could technically be a sign of codependency. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's, yeah, there's kind of two different types of codependent individuals. There might be somebody who's a more active codependent who's got it all together. They're actually over-functioning in all areas of their life, not just the relationship. So they might be the primary breadwinner. They might be um, doing all the household chores, carrying the mental load of the entire household, plus doing everything for their partner. And they look confident and secure and organized and like they've got it all together. They're probably like the high performers at work who everyone can count on you to get it done. But that's all abandoning, abandoning yourself in favor of staying busy, doing a lot to avoid the feelings. That, like these are the people that they can't, just relax. They can't sit down and do nothing. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Either they get bored because they're trying kind of like getting up, they're getting dysregulated essentially in their nervous system. And that can show up as anxiety, boredom, um, pure exhaustion. Sometimes mm -hmm. when those people stop, they're just done and drained and get sick and sleep forever because it's just their nervous system finally relaxes. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that can show up. And then there's the more traditional codependent that we've, that was kind of coined back, I don't know, maybe in like in the sixties, who is really dependent on their partner. Like mm -hmm. they are not, maybe not financially independent, not secure. They need a lot of reassurance. And they're also kind of manipulative and controlling of their partner's behavior at the same time and focused, so focused on their partner's emotions and so not focused on their own needs and emotions. And I know that not, no two people are alike, right? So it's hard to say like, oh, this, per like, 
we all assume that we have our own baggage from childhood, but the way that we express it is different. Like you can see like two or three siblings and they all handle their marriages, relationships, and children completely different with the same upbringing. Yes. So I guess my question to you is like, how do you take stock of your side of the street before you look at these memes and say, I'm leaving these persons just to go have the exact same relationship with the next person? Like, how do you clean up your stuff without mm-hmm. blowing up your relationship? Mm-hmm. And one of the, in, in the second observation that maybe you can comment on is I do this. I do compound questions. That's okay. <laughs> I'm, tra- I'm tracking. You're like, I'm good. I got it. Okay. <laughs> The second observation that I've had, especially working with all these therapists as we're building out our app and we've got, you know, people talking about different, the world to you guys is very gray. Like what I think is peddled to so much of the consumer is this kind of like, it's this, or it's that if you are not happy and this person isn't doing it for you and girl, you haven't got your da, 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 you need to do X. And if you don't, you're not a confident and strong woman and we don't respect you. Yeah. If you're a man who hasn't done this and you don't look like that, then you don't, de- you know, they, she doesn't deserve you. And what I've learned from talking to every therapist is you guys kind of like roll your eyes at that stuff and you're like, the world doesn't work like that. So what do you say to those people in my very long-winded compounded question? Totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm going to start with the beginning, which was, what do you do to clean up your side of the street? Like, how do you look at it? Um, and you know, I think there's a lot of ways to tackle this. I'm obviously prefer therapy because I am a therapist and I see the changes that can happen when you have somebody else pointing out your blind spots. But I feel like there's so much growth that can happen just from consuming personal development material, like this podcast Mm -hmm. or like a great book on whatever behaviors you're noticing in yourself. This is a little bit intimidating for a lot of people to do, but you might want to pull your close friends and family, people whose opinions you trust and ask them, what do you notice about me that you think I could work on relationally? Wow. Yeah. I know. (laughs) Scary. (laughs) I'm like, I'm sweating. (laughs) We can't see our blind spots. They're blind spots for a reason. So I feel like if you ask that um, to people who you trust to be honest, but also gentle with you, then you've got a starting point. You might hear patterns of behavior that you can even Google books about it or go to a therapist and say, here's what I'm realizing I'm bringing to the table in relationships that's not working. I think you also can look at patterns in your relationships, why they ended. Is there like a certain type of fighting that keeps happening in the relationship or certain topics that keep coming up in each relationship? is your partner, every partner that you're with giving you feedback that you're so great, but I just don't feel connected to you. Mm -hmm. That's often a sign of you're not emotionally available, even though you think you are, or you're not being vulnerable, even though you think you are. And that's a sign that's where you need to work. So it's a little bit hard to, to pinpoint that stuff initially, but then once you do, there's so many resources to help. Yeah. And I love every single person I've talked to that's a specialist who's been like, I wouldn't be in this if I didn't believe people could change. If oh, they don't have yeah. the capacity to, you know, find each other again or to work on themselves. And sometimes, you know, the partner doesn't come along immediately, but 
begins to respond to the boundaries that are put into place or the changed behavior. And all of a sudden the conversations are different Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's so much opportunity for, for growth there as opposed to, and I think that's an interesting thing too, is like, I noticed in my twenties, it was very easy to just like be like, cause you're like, yeah, I don't know who I'm going to be when I'm, I grow up. I yeah. have no idea. And as you get older, kind of like companionship and, and certain grounding qualities about something, someone will trump some of the other things that were important to you when you were, you know, figuring out who you wanted to be. Um, I just think all of it's so fascinating. Do you think that we search for our parents and our partners, are we searching for something that we're missing or something that we aspire to have? Like, what is it that we're viewing our partners through when we're picking them? Because most people that I know that have gone through the work are like, I finally realized I was the common denominator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is that, that lens that we're looking at or through? So I'm uh, certified in Imago relationship therapy. And I love this theory so much because it just resonates so deeply with me that we are unconsciously trying to heal our childhood wounds by attracting in partners who are uniquely suited to wound us in the same way our caretakers did. And then our goal unconsciously, of course, is to try to change them to get what we didn't get in childhood, to have that need fulfilled by an attachment figure and feel complete and whole again. So we're trying to fix our parents. We're trying to change our parents to get what we needed from them. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's simple and sad all at the same time, right? You know, it's kind of like, you're trying to figure that out, but then you have a partner who has chosen you for a similar reason that may be completely opposite or different, you know, and then you throw in all of the, the aspects of living life together with someone. Um, yeah. It gets very complicated and heated quickly. Can you um, talk about attachment wounding? Because attachments come up a lot. And I know that when you're looking at yourself and trying to understand, one of the things that I've done recently is that I've I've thrown in a lot of self-awareness my own way, right? So it's kind of like immediately when I'm triggered in my relationship, I will ask myself, okay, am I triggered because this is something that I'm healing or dealing with? Is this anxiety? Is this avoidance or is this a legitimate concern that I need to address and I try to look at it logically and most Mm. of the time what I realized is I had an expectation that I hadn't communicated to my partner Mm. and they were coming to me with their own needs and their own expectations and I'm like well how come you didn't do it my way you know (laughs) (laughs) and like that means x and most of the time it doesn't mean anything Um, so I'm just like, so curious if you could kind of talk a little bit about attachment self for someone who's never heard of of this before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's four different types of attachment style. There's, um, secure attachment, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and then there's a anxious avoidant or disorganized attachment. And they all look pretty different, um, relationally, but they are, pretty clear patterns. It's really interesting. Once you know what they are, you can start to understand your attachment style, your partner's attachment style. Um, So a secure attachment style is somebody who has a pretty easy time in relationships overall. I mean, it's not perfect. Obviously every relationship takes work, Mm -hmm. but they know how to navigate boundaries. Well, they know how to tolerate closeness as well as separation. They, um, are good at keeping their own identity, but also being interdependent with their partner. 
they usually have pretty good conflict resolution skills, um, can see each other's perspective and validate it and agree to disagree. Um, and they just go into relationships really expecting the best. Like this is going to be a positive experience. It'll be fun. I'll get to know someone. Maybe it'll go somewhere. Maybe it won't. Either way, I'm going to be okay. Um, but they kind of like just go into it like, yeah, this is cool. This will be great. And then the insecure attachment styles, which are anxious, avoidant, and anxious, avoidant, go into relationships kind of terrified <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> um, they each have their own unique wounds, but a avoidant attachment style fears being engulfed by their partner and losing mm. their independence. And so they- Which one is that? Because that might be me. <laughs> they, it's avoidant. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've definitely identified with avoidant as well. And you can- create an, an earned secure attachment through doing your own attachment healing. So that's the good news. You're not stuck with this attachment style. Right. Um, but yeah, avoidance tend to need more space than the other attachment styles. They are often very um, driven and like kind of achievement focused and not as focused on connecting emotionally. So they might have a harder time being vulnerable and letting their guard down they're like the do-it-yourself type. Like I can do it better than anyone else. And mm -hmm. it's scary to rely on anyone else because they're just going to let me down. Um, those are the main, I'd say, components of avoidant attachment. And they sometimes can go in really quickly to relationships and feel really strongly, but then get scared and pull back pretty abruptly. So if you have a history of meeting people who are like all in with you and make you feel great and then all of a sudden ghost you or pull back and you're like, what just happened? You were dating and avoidant attachment cells, what just happened? <laughs> so here's the sentence that makes you feel better about yourself. It wasn't you, it was them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, they're, they're avoidant. Yeah. Um, and then anxious attachment there. So backing up the core fear of avoidant is, is really twofold. It's, I'm going to lose my independence and be engulfed. And also people are going to let me down. It's not safe to rely on other people. Okay. Um, on the flip side, the, it, well, it's, it's not even on the flip. It's similar. The core wound of an anxious attachment style is abandonment that I'm going to be too much. People aren't going to be able to handle my needs. They aren't going to be able to meet my needs and I will be abandoned essentially. And they tend to be really preoccupied with the relationship. They're, they're often the ones who give up everything to be like, they stop hanging out with friends and family and stop their hobbies. And are just like, this is everything to me, this relationship. Um, they need a lot of reassurance and they're constantly checking the temperature of the relationship. Like, are you into me? Is this okay? Are you mad at me? Oh, you seem kind of stressed. Is it my fault? Like there's a lot of personalization of things. Mm -hmm. And they can be really critical. So can avoidance, but in a different way. But anxious people can be really critical and rejecting of their partner in an effort to see, will you chase me? Will you come after me? Like, do you care about me enough that I can test these limits and you're still going to be here? So like a validation, they need validation mm -hmm. that they're yeah. safe in the relationship. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Um, and then anxious avoidant is a pairing of both. And it's called disorganized because it can be really disorienting for both the person who has that attachment style and the person in the relationship with them. It's like one minute they need space, the next minute they need closeness. One minute they don't want to try to meet your needs because it's overwhelming. And the next minute they're like 
all about you and all about you meeting their needs. So it's just a lot of like back and forth, back and forth. And are these, I'm assuming these are a sliding scale, like depending on where you are in your life, right? So you're not always one thing, but you understanding what the scale is might help you kind of understand your own behavior. Yes, exactly. So 50% of people are securely attached, but you might identify with some of the avoidant qualities or some of the anxious qualities, and you might lean more one direction or the other, depending on who you're with also. Um, So, and a someone who's secure, but leans a little bit towards avoidant and then date someone who's maybe secure, but leans a little bit more anxious. Mm-hmm. They might actually push each other even farther into the anxious and avoidant side of things because those two do, they have a hard time being together because avoidant needs space. Anxious needs closeness. When one, when stressed out or when in a fight, avoidance need to take some time and anxious need to talk about it right away and get reassurance right away. So, I mean, it's a tough pairing to be together. It's also the one that creates the most chemistry. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course the push and the pull. Right. And Mm -hmm. I almost like in my mind, I'm imagining like, okay, you get into a relationship and you just need to have like a, um, like an app on your phone where like, I need you to fill out all of these. Yeah. Can you take this quiz? Can you tell me if, so I can see where we are on the bell curve in relationship to all of the things so, funny. so on that note, I do have an attachment style quiz on my Instagram and on the website. So if people are interested, they can just go to couples learn Instagram and take the quiz. Just click the link in the bio. I love that. I, um, so I think I did it a long, I did it a while ago. Like I did the attachment. I don't remember exactly all the details, so I need to like do it again, but we were talking about love languages the other day. And it was Mm -hmm. so funny because I was getting so mad because I was like, I enjoy text messages and he's been so busy and he's not sending me like these little text messages to tell me he loves me, which means that I am not a priority in his life anymore. You know, like you make it this big, enormous thing. And then finally (laughs) I was like, maybe I should just tell him. And so I was like, Hey, like every now and then, like, could you just like shoot me a little text? Like it would actually make me, and he's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like as soon as I get to work, I get so swamped and whatever. And he's so present. And so it's kind of funny because you have to do those things. You have to like, by the afternoon when work is done, he's like, what do you need? Can I pick something up at the store? And I have his attention. Mm -hmm. And so I am like, it's so funny that, that going back to, you know, I wrote down when we first started talking before we even started this conversation the recorded conversation I wrote on self-awareness, I think it goes to that self-awareness and the kind of auditing of our emotions. And I think this is my own non-professional opinion, but you have to like be conscientious that you're not, um, what's the word, like trying to justify behaviors, right? Because I think people do that too. They try to justify away behaviors and be like, oh, maybe it's not really that bad. That's not what I'm talking about. I think I'm talking about like, okay, let me check in with myself. Is this true? Right. Is it true that this person feels this? Well, no, because by the end of the day, X, Y, Z is happening. That's not actually true. So maybe I just have an unmet need that I need to, you know, share. Um, But I find that it's really a long path for someone from the moment they realize that they need to do the work to the moment they actually feel like they're self-aware. Yeah. I I mean, I feel like I'm still working on that every day. That is a lifelong journey in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, well, it's funny too, because it's like, you know, once you get one thing, like you were mentioning, like looking at self-help books and, and doing these quizzes in this work, um, I don't think you're ever really done. Right. Like, you know, 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry for anyone out there who wanted to hear yes. You said it so fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, because different things in your life will trigger different layers of growth also. Mm-hmm. Um, getting in, like living with someone for the first time triggers all kinds of things in people and they need to work through their own expectations, their own fears about being that invested with someone if they have them or just there's just so much that goes into sharing a home with someone and then getting married, same thing, having kids, having, getting like retiring, having grandkids. I mean, every stage in life, there's something new you're navigating within yourself and learning about yourself and your partner. Yeah. And you're learning it from a completely different vantage point, right? Because you change so much over time. Um, what, do you, out of pure curiosity, when you talk to a couple, like, do you ever look for any core? Like I can tell that they are, even though they're having this big, whatever, they're going to be okay because I see these two or three things that I feel like is a positive foundation. Like, is there ever anything that you notice that you're like, I like this about them. I feel like they're going to be all right. There it's kind of, this is tough. There's, this is a long-winded answer, but I'll try to make it short. Um, So doctors, John and Julie Gottman are the leaders in the field when it comes to research on what makes relationships work and what makes them fail. And they, through 30 or 40 years of longitudinal research now have figured out there are certain things that go into a relationship that are like make or break things. And um, when I work with a couple, I give them the Gottman relationship checkup, which is an assessment these two created. And it looks at all those different areas And some examples of them are how much trust they have, how much commitment they have, whether they've built a solid friendship base, whether they're good at recognizing and meeting each other's needs, something you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. um, how they are at conflict resolution, if they have like shared goals and are supportive of each other's goals. So there's a whole bunch of scales that I would look at. And the more strengths the couple has, the better Mm -hmm the possible outcome. Um, the more growth areas the couple has on that assessment, it's doable to change them, but it's just, um, more challenging and, you know, how invested they are. Yeah. Yeah. Is it true that when you guys see someone, you know, pretty quickly, whether or not they're going to, they're going to make it. So the Gottmans have definitely, um, said that they can, tell within like watching a 10 minute argument, if a couple is going to make it or not. Um, and they do this interview in the beginning that helps them see, they ask about, um, how they met and how they decided to become a couple, how they decided to be, get married. If they had kids, like how they decided just kind of the journey of their relationship Mm -hmm. and people who are likely to make it have a really positive narrative, even if they're having hard times right now. Mm-hmm. And the ones who don't, um, tend to be the ones that don't make it like, they're like, Oh, I don't know. I just kind of said, whatever, he's good enough. I'll marry him. <laughs> or you know, like, I just decided, yeah, I might as well have kids. Fine. You so, know, like they're yeah. not excited about telling the story and they're not really positive about it in retrospect. Well, it sounds like it's passive. Right. And it was funny. My therapist, um, has something he calls uh, decide, don't slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. It's important. 
he was, and I'll tell you what I remember of the conversation and you can fill in the blanks for anyone who's not familiar with this, but what he said is like, it's the people who slide into situations and relationships, cohabitation, children that end up having the most problems because it's so passive. They're not choosing each other. They're not having conversations. They're not setting up a foundation. They're not building a life together. Just kind of like, well, we might as well. Everyone else is. It seems like it's time where he's like, when you're actually deciding together that you're doing these things and this is what it's going to look like and what have you, he's like, those are the ones that I see who are actually, you know, they've got the strength. So what do you, what's your thoughts on that? I think that's very true. Um, the it's interesting because a lot of people might hear that and go well shoot we just started dating and the pandemic happened and mm. we decided it makes sense to quarantine together and not separate but that was it wasn't really a decision like i want to live with this person because of who this person is it was more about what was happening in the environment and you know i think a lot of those couples rushed into things because it, it, it did make sense too at, at that time. Like, do you want to be home alone every night or do you right. want to be with this great new person you just started dating? So people moved in together pretty quickly and it wasn't necessarily a decision about moving the relationship forward. It was a decision about how to handle a pandemic in the best way. Right. But yeah, then, that's, you described it perfectly as far as like decide you want to do it because of the relationship, not because it'd be easier. You're spending every night together anyway. You might as well just move in together or like, it'd be nice to only pay one rent instead of two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think too, for anyone that's listening, who's like, oh, like you said, like, oh man, like I did this thing. That doesn't mean that that's the cap, that that's the marker for everything. I mean, I think it made me start to look at decisions I was making as a couple and for my family in a different light on a go forward basis. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. All right. I get it. Because the other thing I've learned too, is when you do that, you actually, if you haven't really talked about it, you might have completely different visions for what your lives look like together. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had made a decision in the past before the pandemic, and then it kind of blew up during the pandemic. And I realized, oh, this was my vision. And I was mad at everyone else for not having the shared vision. I was like, but I, I did all this stuff and I want to did it. And this is me healing my own wounds by proving to everyone that I can create this amazing home and I could do this and that. And everybody else was like, Meh. you know, and it was, <laughs> it was kind of funny that I was like, okay, we slid into that, but I was also, um, they weren't two-way conversations. It was kind of me putting my my impression of what life should look like as a cohesive family unit onto everybody else and like grabbing them by their wrists. Like, isn't this great? <laughs> yeah. That's like, eh, fine. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go along with it. And so I was deciding they were sliding. They were like literally being pulled. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I was like, okay, right. Don't do that again. Got it. Yeah. So funny. What would you say to um, a couple who are kind of trying to decide if um, they're, they're thinking about therapy and they're trying to decide um, how to pick a therapist? What would you recommend to them? Um, is it important that it's someone like, is there a personality or a, sometimes you look at your insurance plan and you just pick the person on your insurance plan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you say to a couple? Like, is there something that they should look for when they're talking about couples therapy? Yes, they should for sure be specialized in couples therapy and have advanced training beyond their graduate degree. So that might be in the Gottman method of couples therapy or Imago relationship therapy or emotionally focused therapy or 
the psychobiological approach to couples therapy, these are all, those are kind of the four main schools of couples therapy. Mm-hmm. I would not see somebody who isn't special, like doesn't have advanced training in some sort of couples modality because it's a very different type of therapy than individual therapy. Can you talk um, a little bit about that? Like what's the diff? What, like what would you say like the style is for individual versus the couples? Like, is it based on a certain method, like reality therapy versus cognitive behavioral is different than some of the methods you just mentioned? Like what's the. So I think the core difference is that you're treating the relationship, not the individuals in the relationship and somebody who doesn't have advanced training in couples therapy. And even some who do, they're almost ping-ponging back and forth between the individuals and trying to treat their individual um, issues is not quite the word I'm looking for, but like what they're doing that's contributing to the problem instead of looking at how is it working in a cycle together and what is best for the relationship, not like what is best for this individual or this individual. Somebody, so that's part of it. And then the other part of it is most of those modalities will look at um, attachment, which isn't necessarily what an individual therapist is looking at. Some modalities do, but not all. And then they'll also look at um, the interaction between the two people and provide a lot more structure than individual therapy. Individual therapy can be a little bit more freeform, but Mm -hmm. for good couples therapy, you need structure to make the communication safe, to help couples not get caught up in the details, like arguing back and forth about stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's just so much more that goes into couples therapy. And a lot of therapists like took a course in grad school on couples therapy and and it's truly just not enough. Yeah. I've heard them. I've heard conversations around the idea that um, the idea of, of looking together as a partnership at the relationship as a third entity or a second, like a, it's, exactly. a diff- it's a separate entity from you. So it's not like you did this and I did this, but it's like, how do we come together and fix that situation that's outside of us as individuals? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of describing managing thirds and you and your partner want to be in this couple bubble and everything outside of that is a third. So mm-hmm. your kids are a third, your mother-in-law is a third, your job is a third. And how you manage that as a team is crucial for a secure functioning relationship. You don't let a third get inside your bubble and split you guys. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because you have to be on, and I've, and I've, I've often thought that sometimes looking at your relationship as being like your business partnership, like it's like, we're in a partnership. This is our little family LLC, right? And then everything, yeah. it's almost like you can understand it a little bit better. And, yeah. but I don't know if that's just my little thing. Um, what is the biggest mistake that you see couples make when they go to therapy? Trying to enlist the couples therapist as the judge and the jury. Mm-hmm. So when you come to couples therapy, your couples therapist is a third. And you need to manage them appropriately. It's you and your partner as a team. You're not aligning with the therapist and throwing your partner under the bus. That's not productive and that's not secure functioning. Right. Um, So yeah, I'll see that a lot. And again, this is why it's so important to have training in couples therapy so that you don't get roped into that and start judging and being like, well, that does sound reasonable. Partner B, what do you think? Like, could you have changed that? And suddenly now you're triangulating the Mm -hmm. aligning with partner a 
and partner B is feeling alienated. So that, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Like when you go to couples therapy, you're not there to prove your partner's wrong and you're right. And to get therapists on board with you, <laughs> you're yeah, there to work with your partner on solving the, the problem, the bubble. Yeah. It yeah. will. It's funny. I saw this comedian who was like, I knew couples therapy wasn't going to work out when the therapist sided with me. And I was like, that's right. I won that fight. And I was yeah. like, it was, it was a funny skit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I know that you have the attachment quiz on your Instagram and on your website. Um, where can people go to learn more about working with you about the services you offer just to follow you? Cause you have great stuff. Like your articles on LinkedIn are always really great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So we're couples learn on everything. Um, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. What else? Are, what else is there for social media? LinkedIn. <laughs> All, of the things. All of the things um, right. couples learn. And then the website's coupleslearn.com. So, awesome. well, yeah. I want to thank you for continuing to be a friend to us and sharing your wisdom. I always love talking to you and following all of your, and I, I think it's because of the fact that you have this additional training and you can kind of get deep into that couple mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with our audience. And um, if you're not following Couples Learn, go follow. Thank you for being with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course.